has done that will help us in the battle that we have going on in our lives every day. Now, if you remember with John, John wrote the book of Revelations. He also wrote the Gospel of John. But right after Revelations, he wrote this epistle called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in this epistle, he was fighting a thing called Gnosticism. And it was during the era of Nero and also uh, Dominician. And what had happened was the church, there were people coming into the church and saying, uh, Plato's duality of the body and the mind. And he was saying, whatever you do in your mind is pure and wholesome. And whatever you do with the body, it doesn't matter as long as you're pure in your heart and your mind. Well, John says, no, that's not God's will. And we see throughout this book, John says, Jesus, number one, came in the flesh he was not a phantom. He was not some aberration, but he actually had flesh and bones. Then he said, the other thing he said is that if you sin and you claim that you don't sin, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to your friends, and you're lying, making God a liar because he says we do sin. And he has given us this advocate, Jesus Christ, who came to take away our sins. But then last week, John began to take us through the challenges. A lot of people wonder, am I a Christian or am I not? I gave my life to Jesus, but am I really truly a Christian? And John takes out of 100 verses in 1 John, and 40 times he mentions the word that you will know. Now, he does this particularly because the Gnostics were the people who were in the know. And John is saying, if you really want to know if you're a Christian, there's three things that can help us here that come from within you as you were changed by Jesus Christ. One, he said, there's a moral test that you're willing to do the commandments that the Bible has to say. And there's the Ten Commandments, but then there are other commands to be peaceful, joyful, loving. Those things are also commands that are given to us from the New Testament. And he also then says, but also, too, there's a social test. Do you love your brother? And he gives us this whole idea that if you really love your brother, then you can have an idea if you're following God's commands and you want to do it. And even though you break them at times and you fall short, God is there to advocate through you, Jesus Christ, to wash away your sin and give you the, the peace that you're not have to carry that guilt on anymore. And he also says, then if you follow the commandments and if you really love your brother and don't uh, deny that and you, you really truly care for people inside your heart and then you follow this doctrinal test of who Jesus is, you can pretty much know that you're saved through Jesus Christ. Now, John then is he's quite the surgeon because what he does now, he digs deep. Uh, a few years ago, back in uh, 2000, I think 17 or 18, I was sitting by a, the pool at uh, the Northwest YMCA. And a little gal came out. All the chairs were taken but the one next to me. And this little gal sits down and I said, Honey, did you have your friends put some cream on you so to protect you from the sun? Because she was pale white. And she says, Oh, sir, I have that done all the time. Before I come in here, I just bathe myself in it because my mother died two years ago of melanoma cancer. And she said, I go and get checked. And then she looks at me and says, that thing on your stomach, you should have that checked. This is Saturday night at the pool reading my sermon. So Monday I call my doctor. He says, yeah, come on in. We'll check it out. And he checks it out. And he says, I'll take it out. And we'll send it off for a little test. Send it out. Thursday, I'm at Bevan Russell's house visiting her. She's dying of cancer. 
And my doctor calls me and he's upset. He says, Dave, you got stage four melanoma cancer and you better get into a surgeon tomorrow. I'm gonna have a visit with him tomorrow morning for you and then on Tuesday, um, he's gonna take you to the hospital, you're gonna go to the hospital and you're gonna have uh, uh, chemo or, or uh, yeah, chemo put in your, radiate your body so that we can find out if there's gone to your lymph nodes and then also see what the area's been affected. And he said, usually, the surgeon said to me, usually it's a spot of about three centimeters. Well, <clears throat> I go on Tuesday and get the surgeon, and he digs it out okay. This, the the um, lymph nodes were fine. But instead of having this little, I'm thinking three little centimeters, I got this big stretch job here. He cleaned it all out. He said we wanted to make sure we got it all. And see, this is what John's doing here. John digs deep in our souls, and he wants to get to the root of our problem. Because each one of us battle it every day. And he wants to make us aware of what we battle in our lives. And John begins with the world. He says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. For anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now John here is coming right to the heart of the problem. The world, he's not talking about the world that we live on, the planet... In fact, the Bible says we're to enjoy the earth. The psalmist says to us that we're, the earth is the Lord and the fullness there, and we should enjoy God's creation, even under the fallen nature that we have. He's not talking about people. He's talking to, he says, you know, Jesus tells us that in John 3, 16, that he loves the world. And that's why he came. What he's talking about is a system of spiritual warfare that goes on beyond the scenes of which we can see, that works on us every day, that tries to pull us away from God's way and do our own thing. You know, people think, well, you know, I got to get out of this world or I got to get away from this world. That's why monasteries have been built. But they found that those things, still people sin in those monasteries. Because you see, the system of the world that affects our flesh and our sinful nature has its effect to pull us down. In fact, Jesus even says to us in John 17, 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. He doesn't want us out of this world. In fact, we're to be the people who fight the battle in the world. And that Jesus says here, but keep them in it from the evil one. And that's the, the devil the Bible says here, and we're going to see it in a few minutes here, he says, the world, our flesh, and the devil battle to draw us away from God. And the section he's talking about, the world, is a system, a mindset that happens in each one of us. And it's inevitable that he works on us to entice us away from what is true. How many advertisements do you find yourself watching or hearing or seeing, and it triggers inside you, you know, I need that. There are people who are constantly bombarded and buying things that they can't afford because they're being enticed to buy it. You see, that's the world system. And Jesus says to us that you are to love the world, not to love the world, but we're, to, and, and in fact, even in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 24, he says, you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to serve the one and you're, you're going to hate the other. There's no two of mine. You know, people laugh. 
I laugh at them. They say, well, I'm a worldly Christian. There's no worldly Christian. Either you're with Christ or you're with the world. There's not two. And what he brings out to us here is that we need to continue to focus and understand what the world is doing to us. You see, this system works to debilitate us, to bring us away. I had a girl come to me when I was in New Jersey, and she was all upset because she was afraid that her credit card company was going to cancel her because she said, I only can make the minimum payments. I said, honey, they love you. Keep on making those minimum payments. Oh, in fact, they'll increase you. And sure enough, she got a letter two months later that they increased her because she was such a, a very good person who paid the minimum value, but she was going broke doing it. And you see, that's what happens. The devil sucks us in, and then he tries to dry us out. And what here is, he's talking about this world system that has all kinds of things attacking us. You and I are like on the lake of our lives. And the only thing that's dangerous is When you're on a lake, you can have a great time sitting out in that boat and fishing and all kinds of things. But once the lake starts getting in the boat, that's when you sink. And that's what's going on in our lives that can easily go on and take a hold of us. And unsaved people, this is not a big problem. But for Paul, for John, for Jesus, it is a huge problem. And God has given us that we can live in the ocean of life with the scuba gear of the Holy Spirit. Through the word of God and through prayer, we can make our way through it and not be hammered by it and not be... Because this is what John's worried about. John's concern is at how it is going to affect us, what it does to each one of us. John Bunyan wrote this beautiful novel. And as he's going on his way to the celestial city, there are different chapters where he has people coming from the side and trying to drag us off the road to do what the devil wants us to do. And you see, this is the way life gets to be. And we need to uh, continue to identify ourselves with the word. And it's so amazing to me how good Christians that love the Lord can get caught up in things that they never imagined themselves doing. I was reading about a young man and young woman who fell in love when they were in youth group. And they went on to college together, and they went to medical school together, and they were doing great in their second year. But all of a sudden, she got pregnant, and this was a problem about their future. And they were figuring out, okay, what do we do? Because if I take off, I may not be able to get back into the program as quickly as I got in the first time. And will I have to redo everything and start all over? And all these things they were wrestling with and trying to find out about. And so what they decided one day, and here are these people, they were president of the youth group and they loved the Lord and all this, even at the Christian Medical Society. And they decided that since he took that GYN class, the gynecology class, and how to deliver babies, that he was going to abort. They were going to abort the baby. And that's what they did. They decided one night they would get together and, and he would perform this abortion. He got all this stuff that he needed from medical school. And as he was doing it, something went south and wound up that he panicked. And she went into shock. And by the time the ambulance got there, she was dead. 
And now he was facing murder charges. In fact, he went to court and they charged him with negligent homicide because of what they decided to do. Even though she was in on it, he was charged. And you see, these are two people who love the Lord. But when the plan got changed, they chose the world's way rather than God's way. You see, we're seeing that all around today. I was reading uh, a page from one of the Christian colleges that I know about. And they were talking about dealing with the gay issue on their campus. And they had interviewed one of the chaplains from this campus. And he, she said, well, we know what God's word says, but we know also God works through relationships. And we want to have good relationships with these students. And we know they love God. And so we're going to accept it. And we're going to have all these programs which they can be involved in. Never saying that it was sin. And that we're going to stop it. No. They were going to placate to the relationship rather than listen to God's word. And you see that's happening time and time again around our nation. And we wonder why Christianity is struggling right now because we're not holding to the truth. We're gobbling up the word. And you see, this is what John says. We can't follow men's feelings. That's the most dangerous spot to be in. We need to follow the solid concrete word of God. And so John says it's the world system we have to fight. And now he defines it for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. The lust of eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but he says it's from the world. He's saying this evil desires are from the world. Our eyes, the covetousness of wanting things, that's from the world. He said our self-exaltation, this pride is from the world. And what we need to do as Christians is we need to fight it. We need to surround ourselves with the word and in prayer, but also our friends that keep us on track. And that we have the Holy Spirit within us that can help us overcome this. Otherwise, we're just going to be commended, conde condemned. You see, and this is the danger that happens with so many good people. They fall into things because they follow the world's way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life gets us off guard. And what does it do? It takes us away from God. We start having questionable amusements that we shouldn't be looking at. Or that we have doubtful places that we should be. And we wind up going to them. It affects our response to our love for God. And what we need to do is do the will of God, John says. And that makes the difference because our joy will be eternal. But it's so easy to get lost in this world and follow its ways of solving the problems. Of giving ourselves ways in which we can overturn or, or get beyond the difficulty we're having. And he says these three devices are traps that we get ourselves caught into. We see it with Eve. When she is offered by Satan the fruit... The first thing it says that she saw that the food was good. That's her lust of the flesh. And that it was pleasant to her eyes. It's the lust of the eyes because it was pretty to see. 
And then it was making her, the old lie Satan told her, is that you can be, see, God doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he said that not to take that tree. But if you eat that, you can be just like him. Well, pride puffs her up. And you see, it's the same strategy he uses again in the den in this world he operates in. And we are to partake rather of the divine nature. And what the world does, it appeals to our normal appetites. And it tempts us to satisfy them in, unfor in forbidden ways. God created us with wanting, to, and, and he provided us with desire to have good food. And to be cared for. And to have, and sex is a wonderful blessing in marriage when it produces beautiful children. And it helps in the marriage relationship to bring you closer. But when that is distorted, and that's what Satan does, he takes it and he tries to get us to go in inappropriate ways to satisfy those things and those forbidden ways. And then it brings us down. It brings us into trials and tribulation. The porn industry knows this. How many good Christian men are caught into that wheel and trying to satisfy them? And they're just like on a treadmill and they're never going to be satisfied. He does the same thing with the, our eyes, the lust of the eyes. How many people get them caught up into the, the overwhelming debt because they're continuing to think that the next thing they buy is going to satisfy them? And they say that young people today are overwhelmed in credit card debt, house payments, and car payments of things they can't afford. Why? Because it's the lust of the eyes. It's that pressure to look good. And Achan had that in Joshua chapter 7. God said, don't take anything out of um, um, the battle. And sure enough, Achan saw. And he saw this beautiful when, when they're coming out of Jericho, he saw this beautiful idol and he just had to have it. And it cost him his whole group of people because he, the, the lust of the eyes grabbed a hold. And then the desire to be boastful. I mean, how many times is it that people do things to get attention from other people? They strive and do things to look good. They buy things to look good, to keep up with the Joneses. They do all these things. And it's pride. And you see, all these things just don't come on you one day. You see, the world's system is a gradual system that works on us and continues to take more and more of our life and steal it away from God and fall into deep, dark places. You see, they're the carnal amusements, the places that take us to places that we don't need to be. And they cater to our desires. And what happens is we get become condemned with the world. Solomon did, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is a typical example. When Lot was there, you see, it was a gradual process with him. First, he saw how beautiful Sodom was. Then he camped out pretty close to the place. Then one day he and his family moved into Sodom. And then Sodom, when it got captured, he was captured with it. And then when God brought his judgment on it and hailed the fire and brimstone, Lot lost everything he had. All that he desired was lost because he fell into that trap 
of following his, the lust of his eyes and the pride of life. And you see, these things, when they're unhealthily driven in our hearts, God provides us with many things, but when we get an unhealthy drive to it, it takes us down, and we don't even realize it. By the time we realize it, it's too late. And that's why John warns us about the world and how it works on us so that we don't fall and we don't give ourselves. I mean, think about it. How many people took the extra unemployment and stayed home rather than worked? And look what it's done to our industry, our commercial industry. It's hurt us. And it's because of what? They were feeding the desire for their own soul, not thinking about the rest of the world who needed certain things and needed people in those places to be able to fill. And now we're struggling as a, a culture. And now inflation's going up all the way. Why? It's because they went after their flesh, their lust of their eyes, the boastful pride of life. You see, maybe you might be struggling with something in your life. Maybe a desire that's out of whack, doesn't want to do. Ask yourself, how am I dealing with that? I was reading about a missionary in Alaska who had this tribe come to know Christ and the chief was the first one who came to know Christ. And after he came to know Christ, he basically spoke about what Paul basically said about the battle that goes on within. But he said it in a different way. He didn't even know Paul wrote it. He was such a new Christian. And he says, you know, the very things I want to do, I do, and the very things I don't want to do, I do them. And he says to the missionary, I've got this black dog who keeps on barking in this ear, telling me to do the wrong thing. And he says, and I got this white dog who's barking in this ear. And he says, the missionary says, well, which dog wins? And the chief says to him, a great piece of wisdom. He said, the one I feed the most. What are you feeding in your mind and in your heart that is causing you to act and give in to the worldly ways, to be unpatient, to be impatient, to be a person who's angry about somebody or someone who is passionate about getting things. You know, there's all kinds of things that we're tempted about. And we have to say, okay, what am I doing to feed that in my life? Are my content? See, Paul, he comes out with that and says, you know, you don't have to buy into this. If you can be content in everything with Christ, you don't need the bigger flat screen TV. You don't need a nicer car. You don't need this or that. You can be content in Christ. You know, the biggest state that you could ever be in is the state of contentment. Because that's where you're going to find the joy and peace of life. It comes from humbleness and trusting Christ and knowing that he's going to take for him. Because you see, our pride also wants to feed this. Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. Why? Because of his pride. He wanted to take over for God. And God gave him an unemployment check and told him to get on his way and kick him out of heaven. Why? Because he wanted to be just like God and even above God. And so this is where we come.
first we have to ask ourselves, what am I feeding that is promoting this appetite inside my heart? And I've got to pray and ask God to give me victory over it. And that every time I go to feed that appetite, when I go, that I sit, put my brakes on and say, Lord, help me not to do this. Walk away. Run away. Get out. Second, when our eyes are desiring something, our affections, that's blinding us to the truth of God, don't give in to it. Go to God in prayer and pray that he relieves that desire inside your heart. And realize there's certain things that you can participate, Paul says, in, but you don't because they affect you differently than the rest of all the other guys. I knew a guy that we used to do bar ministry, and he had to bail out of the bar ministry because I grew up, and I didn't round liquor because I, I was, grew up in a, a home where my father didn't drink. He came out of a home, and drinking was part of the family plan. And he said, I can't go into the bars because I get tempted, and I don't want to drink anymore because I saw it taking a hold of me, and I got scared. And so he, he knew that he couldn't go in there. And so he didn't. You see, because he knew what his limits were and where he could go and where he couldn't go so that he could not be affected by the world. And you see, John comes to us and say, number one, you don't give in to these things. Why? Because you're commanded. Do not be of the world. Number two, he says, look what it does to you. If you see it doing stuff to you that are improper in God's eyes, get out of it. Don't give yourself over to it. And then he says the third thing is the world's duration. He says the world is passing away. All these things that we think are so important, that we think that we have to have, will pass away. The fads, the styles. The world is passing away in all its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And that's the key of wanting to do the will of God. Because this world is passing away. And it will not give us what we really want. We're strangers. We're pilgrims in this land. And so Paul helps us here with John. And John tells us it's going to pass away. If you look at the histories of the world, there have been tremendous civilizations that we don't even realize they ever existed that were so important and so big and they're gone. They've slipped out of, into oblivion and historians can tell us about them but they mean nothing to us. Our civilization is the same thing. We're being eroded, changed, decayed and it may be swept away. That may be God's plan but we don't have to worry because we have an anchor in Jesus Christ. In the meantime, as we're living in this world, we need to desire God's will. That's a good way for you to realize that you're growing in your faith because you want what God wants and not what you want. That you've overcome your selfishness and your pride. You say, God, I want to do it your way. And so here we have it. The Bible says to us, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Realize this is a mercy that God gives you, the ability 
to present yourself, dedicate yourself, surrender yourself to the will of God, that you want to do it and that you're willing to do it. And God's going to work through you and through your circumstances so that you can bring into his dominion and lordship your bodies as living sacrifices, your being, everything that you have under his lordship. And then that you will be able to do it. And it's a spiritual worship to God when you do this. It's pleasing in his sight. And then he says to us, our job then is it comes from the word of God. That we follow his path in the word. And then we don't allow the world to conform us to its image. This is where a lot of Christians fall because we begin to try to live in one world and live with God. We can't be worldly Christians. There's no godly devils. We're either in it or of it. And what we, the Bible here is saying is that we need to transform our minds and hearts every day and see what's coming at us. And then what we do is do God's will because it'll prove it when you do it. You'll prove God's will that it's good and acceptable and perfect because you won't get hemmed in by the world's way. And it sets you free. And it comes by beginning to surrender our lives and listening to God speak to us and then doing his will. That's the key. And so are you growing? You know, I had a friend that we used to go into their house and all three of their kids, they had this line, they had this uh, measurement along the, the, the doorpost in their house. And that every month they would measure where the kids has grown. And the same thing is with us. How much have you grown in the Lord that you really want to do the will of God? That you really don't want the world to grab a hold of you, but you want to be transformed and seen as different. That's what it's calling us to do here. You know, there's a great hymn, Bernard Shufflift from Boston, Massachusetts, who wrote to his seminary class. They came to him and they said, look, we need, to, we need a hymn that we can leave at the seminary and that we'd like you to write it because he was a very good writer of hymns. And so he did. And it's a beautiful old hymn. It's called Lead On, O King Eternal. But in it, it captures what we're facing in our lives right now. And in the stanzas of the hymn, you really hear his heart of understanding the first stanza, he calls us to arms. And he says to us, Lead on, O King Eternal, the day of March has come. They're leaving seminary now. Henceforth into fields of conquest. That they're not going to lose the battle, but they're going to win it. And the tents shall be our homes. They realize that they don't belong in this world. They're not going to be around that long. And through days of preparation, the grace has made us strong. They've been prepared now. Now lead on, O King Eternal, lift our battle song. Then the second stanza. He then begins to talk about the tools that we use. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease. And it's a war. And holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, and not with stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy... This heavenly kingdom comes. And then finally, he talks about the reward that is ours. 
that even though the kingdom of this world has passed away, listen to what he says. He said, lead on, O King Eternal, we follow not with fear, for gladness breaks like morning where thy face appears. The cross is lifted over us. We journey in the light. The crown awaits the conquest where we're going to receive crowns of reward, folks. Lead on, O King of Might. And we know that he's with us and we can fight this battle and win it. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for each one of us. We're in this world, Lord. We know the system. And we know that all the different delights that this world offers us to be pulled away from you, God. To be pulled away from our families. To be pulled away from the things that are right and good. We ask you, Jesus, that we can be victors. Just like this him states and that you will lead us God and we will follow your game plan and gain the victory thank you Jesus for being present with us and we have no fear in your name we pray Christ amen at this time we're going to receive the Lord's Supper and in preparation to this we do a thing in which we understand what we're partaking of of the meaning of the sacrament Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper which we are about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance, communion, and of hope. We come into remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ who was sent of the world by the Father to assume our flesh and blood and to remove from us all our sin due to us. By this death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be accepted by God and never be forsaken by him. Not only do we have remembrance, but we also have communion with the same Christ who promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. And in the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto life eternal. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom which we abide if we are to bear fruit. And then finally, we come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the great feast of love which we partake when your kingdom has fully come. Now, with unveiled face, we shall behold you and be made like unto you in your glory. Since by the death and resurrection and ascension, he has made this for us and obtained it for us. This life-giving spirit now unites us in one body as we receive the supper in true brotherly and sisterly love, mindful of the communion of the saints. Let us pray. Lord, today we thank you for this wonderful privilege that we have to receive the Lord's Supper. We thank you for removing our sins and our iniquities. And I pray, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts right now, Lord, we ask you to forgive us and take it away from us and give us peace in our hearts. We thank you that you remind us that what you did on the cross is a reminder here in these elements that we partake and that all our sin is covered and we've been washed clean. Help us to live that way every day, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.
Lord Jesus the night in which he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. Amen. Also in like manner, he took the cup. And when they had supped, he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all our sin. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks. That even though we don't live perfect in this world, you've loved us to cover over our sin so that your wrath doesn't take us out. And that you wash us clean and make us new every day. 
I pray for these people as they go out into the battle, into this world that we all live in, that you'll give them the strength, the empowerment by the Holy Spirit to not be a part of this world, but rather that they can be transformed every day to new and living examples as they live in the world, but they don't become part of it. Thank you for your great promises, Lord. And it's through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Please rise and stand for your benediction and then also for the closing song that we will sing today. I'm going to give you the words that Joshua, the great warrior, gave his people as they went into Canaan to fight the battle. And they said, be strong and be courageous and do not be afraid. Because the Lord God goes with you wherever you go. Amen. The Lord my